This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the Zero for Zero bill at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Ag Resource Company's Dan Bossy next. America's sugar growers are among the most efficient and sustainable in the world. But billions of dollars in foreign sugar subsidies distort the global market and put U.S. producers at a disadvantage, weakening America's no-cost sugar policy without first reforming the global sugar market would hurt family farms, jeopardize good-paying jobs, and weaken the supply chain that puts sugar on consumers' tables. A new bill called Zero for Zero takes action to zero out all foreign subsidies and level the playing field. Learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Commodity and financial markets have been roiled over the waves of headlines over fears of economic distress over the COVID virus and its variants. Dan Bossy, president of Ag Resource Company, believes markets will remain sensitive to COVID but hopes to see global cases decline and markets recover. Bossy says the underlying tone is that of market demand. Yeah, demand since uh, the pandemic has struck has been amazingly strong. Um, you know, I, I can just use beef prices. Retail beef prices last week uh, at $8 a, a pound. We've never seen that before, and that's all related to disposable income levels rising. And so as we think about the opportunity for 2022, I mean, my mind is all about continued demand. I think that world grain demand, uh, meat demand, will stay relatively strong. In fact, Jeff, it's the first year that the world produced a record large grain crop, and we actually will utilize more than what we produce. And so to me, that is giving us a very clear signal that, Agricultural production needs to expand, and we need to, uh, you know, improve. Uh, I believe with the United States at peak farmland, that is probably needs to happen in terms of uh, somewhere else in the world, the Black Sea or South America. Dan, we're continuing to peer uh, across the fence into 2022 and and use the telescope for predictions. La Nina is here. The question is how strong and how long it lasts. With regard to the Southern Hemisphere and with regard to North American production, how much do we have riding on La Nina, and will it have the impact on Brazilian soybeans as it did a year ago and Brazilian safrina corn? Well, I, uh, I am, I'm an economist, Jeff, not a climate scientist, but I have a climate scientist that works with us, and uh, he has given us his latest outlook, and that outlook suggests that the dryness that's now encompassing much of the southern third of Brazil and Argentina will worsen in the next couple of months. And uh, that being said, he's very worried about South American production. Our office in Sao Paulo has already cut the soybean crop. There are 3 million metric tons, corn crop 4 million metric tons. But we believe as long as this weather pattern persists that we will be seeing larger cuts going forward. So uh, this is real. This is a concern. And remember that it only takes one global drought or flood, if you will, to really cut into end stocks, which are on an exporter basis, stock use ratios record low. So this could produce a very dynamic and volatile market for agriculture the next year. Let's hope that La Nina does not produce a central U.S. drought, but 
already we're seeing signals in places like Chicago and Hay City, Kansas, and everywhere else that dryness is something we need to pay attention to next year. So thinking then about the strength that we have seen in corn, soybean, and wheat prices here in the latter stages of 2021, is this fueled by weather, or what's the underlying catalyst? Is it inflation? It's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of weather. It's a little bit of uh, uh, demand. It's a little bit of uh, inflation. Um, I think as you uh, as you think about the markets going forward, that indeed they're going to be well supported. When you have stock use ratios globally this low, it takes years to replenish. We've got new demand drivers such as China in corn, uh, renewable diesel, and 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 these will come to the fore in 2022. But overall, I, I think one has to be very careful about being overly bearish, unless uh, something were to happen uh, politically speaking, a geopolitical event much like the United States and China or something in that that regard. Dan, I'm telling my age, but I recall the time that the U.S. was the main producer of corn, the main producer of soybeans, and what happened with the U.S. dictated a lot of the pace and the value of those commodities on the globe. The U.S. is not the main producer. It's still a major producer, but not the top in many of the major commodities. How does that affect our paradigm and what now is riding on the balance of the outcome of that southern hemisphere crop as we start to think about U.S. farmers and planning decisions for 2022? Well, I think as you uh, you start thinking forward, I mean, as I, I spoke to that record large global grain demand, everything has to go just right, Jeff, if, if indeed we're going to fall into a bearish uh, phenomena longer term. So uh, as I think about the markets, um, I am very concerned about not having enough supply down the road. I'm concerned that somehow uh, the overall shift over to renewable fuels or green fuels is happening too quickly without enough planning by, uh, let's say, political leadership. And so the, the real problems, uh, as we think of 2022, will be ones of not having enough and building inflation and somehow the finger being pointed at agriculture if food prices rise. I don't think that uh, that's a position we want to be in, but something that could end up with a weather problem in Latin America or the United States. Are we at a point that the end user of the globe is starting to create anxiety and willing to purchase ahead to try and secure supplies, adequate supplies of corn, soy, and wheat? Not yet, Jeff. In fact, I would argue that the largest short in the market may be our friends in China which have bought soybeans from Brazil for January and maybe the first or second week of February, but they've got a lot of demand to fulfill. In the world wheat market, people are very close bought, maybe only six weeks ahead. They've been hoping for a break in price or a break in freight rates. That just hasn't happened. And so from our visibility, uh, the world end user is close bought and needing to get that forward coverage. And maybe that's the discussion topic of early next year about moving away from that just-in-time inventory mentality. But overall, so far, the end user is in disbelief that the market will go higher. Sticker shock for farmers as they're making plans for 2022 and still planting decisions to be made. From Ag Resource uh, Company, what what position do you hold on concerns over the supply chain and availability of only not only nutrients but crop protection products? Well, we were feeling a little better until we started to see some of the draft levels on the Mississippi, which have plummeted in the last two or three weeks. You know, barges are not going to be able to fully load coming back up. I was hoping over the next six weeks that 
maybe that grain moving south would be filled with fertilizer products moving north. That does not appear the case. And then you've got all the unit trains, over 110 of them running from, uh, let's say, points in the Midwest out to the PNW. Normally, those unit trains would be running to the Gulf. Again, a difficulty in getting some of those fertilizer products to where they're needed. I am concerned. I think we still have a little time here. Ask me on Valentine's Day where we're really sitting, but I think it's very important that somehow the the fertilizer and chemical industries of this country move uh, product to position. Today, those inventories at uh, co-ops and many sellers across the Midwest are extremely low or non-existent. Dan, we saw ethanol and the growth of that market, that demand for corn, really bring a shot in the arm to rural America, to the value of corn, and to farmers. The question is, is this next generation of biofuels that will favor oil seeds, is this a paradigm shift in the marketplace? And and what are the implications, not just for soy and canola, but the effect on corn and on wheat acres? Well, it seems very strange to say this, Jeff, but our research at Ag Resource would suggest that if I run the existing proposed or plants that are built, um, we will need an extra 40 million acres of soybeans by the 2024 year crop year, which, you know, that's that's 50% more than what we have today. Impossible as we sit there in the three-year time frame. Um, on the other side of that is 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 what do I do with a lot of the soy meal that would come from that, and are we building enough crush facilities? As as we do our data and run through things, the renewable interest is so high that we are confident, becoming even more confident in our demand for, or our, I should say, our demand, our production of renewable diesel. Uh, what's a little less lacking in terms of the load loadout of availability of soybean meal, and where that market may have to go to to, of course, clear supply. So if you think about maybe not 40 million, but let's pair it back to 30, that's still a big change. And if I am at peak farmland, which I think is a brand new concept that agriculture needs to think about, then we are displacing other crops, whether, whether it be corn, whether it be cotton, whether it be oats or sorghum. Those things, of course, would not be uh, in abundance. And so we would run into continual shortages or having to do additional imports from from overseas. So it's a uh, it's a more disruptive I see renewable diesel as being more disruptive than ethanol. It will build value, but if you think about today we just had a new uh, soy crusher plant announced in North Dakota. North Dakota now has more crush capacity than soybeans. So imagine that basis levels and future spreads will stay extremely tight for the foreseeable futures as everybody bids for the uh, US crop coming in. Is the future of this next gen and what a U.S. farm policy or a U.S. energy policy might be, or is it being generated rather from the marketplace? What's its source of strength? It's actually being generated by states. I mean, if you look at renewable diesel, this is not federal. This is state. This is California, Oregon, Washington, and then about another 11 states wondering if they should be following suit. And so... This is an ad hoc policy of renewable fuels, and maybe the government, whether it be federal or otherwise, uh, and maybe even globally, needs to step in and understand that vegetable oils, although a stepping stone to electrification and cleaner energy, is probably something that's unsustainable from a supply standpoint longer term. But sitting here today, this uh, this policies are being generated on a state level, 
not on a federal level. Dan, what a paradigm shift, because it was not too long ago that a number of agriculture leaders were talking about a need for setting aside U.S. acres because of oversupply and burdensome stocks-to-use ratio. And now we're talking about a loss of available acres or not enough acres to be able to satisfy demand. What changed? Well, it's really demand. I mean, uh, when you look at the demand relative to uh, ethanol and and in global trade of corn, China's now buying one of every four bushels of feed grain that's traded in the world. That's a big change in the last couple of years, largely due to, of course, their banning of feeding food waste to their uh, ever-growing hog markets. Um, these these are dynamic issues, and so we at Ag Resource talk about demand drivers in agriculture, and rarely do we get one, but right now we almost have two, which is renewable fuels and China, and when they both collide like that, we just don't have enough supply until we bring in, we estimate, another 20 to 25 million acres around the world. So the 20 to 25 million, the U.S. would have to rob acres from other crops uh, unless we're pulling acres that are set aside in the Conservation Reserve Program or other. What we're suggesting is that the U.S. market share of total grain and oilseed production may fall further. Well, that's exactly right. And, and if you look back, uh, it's only been since 2009, we have stole 25 million acres from hay and from CRP. Um, that just can't continue. Today we have record hay prices, and the hay acres across the United States have fallen to their lowest level since 1909. And so it's difficult to steal more acres from hay. And then Secretary Vilsack is very adamant about rebuilding the CRP program, maybe adding another two or three or four million acres. You can see that in his extension of the last sign-up and the increase in bids now up to maybe 240 to $260 an acre. So the uh, the mindset is that we just won't get additionality. There may be another one or two million acres out there, but it's uh, it's land that will come increasingly more difficult to attain in the future. Does this heighten the concern or the stakes as Washington talks about another definition of waters of the U.S. and new farm policy for 2023 that might consider growth into areas like the Conservation Reserve Program or climate-smart agricultural production? Jeff, I think it does, and I think it's a discussion not only being held in the United States, it's being held around the world. If you look at the farm-to-fork program uh, of the EU, uh, some of our modeling would suggest that the EU, which is the second-largest world ag exporter today, is going to become a significant ag importer, maybe 70 or 80 million metric tons by 2030, should they go forward with farm-to-fork. So as you think about sustainability, and if you think about uh, reduction in pesticides and fertilizer, it surely has its impact, if you will, globally, not only domestically. And I think that these are discussions that politicians need to have, and that old debate about how high food prices need to rise really is something that It should be all in our discussions in agriculture. I'm going to ask you to crystal ball Washington for just a moment. They'll be talking about the 23 Farm Bill coming up. What are policies that you would be concerned about? What are policies that you would feel like might be in need to be encouraged for U.S. agriculture in these paradigm shifts? Well, we need more crop. We need more uh, uh, livestock production. I would uh, encourage them, again, to get farmers to be thinking about going back to producing as, as to their will. I mean, U.S. farmers are the best at what they do. They will, if there's a profit and objective, they will 
find ways and do use different technologies to get where they need to be. And so that's where I would like to have that policy. Maybe in this case, less government would be more in terms of getting farmers to come back to, to reach their real production potential. There just is not enough. There's just not going to be enough supply nearby. And someday we may have to discuss uh, maybe reduction of corn usage and ethanol and those kind of drivers. But as long as energy prices stay high, as long as we haven't electrified the uh, U.S. auto fleet, uh, I think those discussions are in the in the future. But it's something that we all need to be thinking about. Today it's about getting enough supply and making sure that those 2 billion people that get by in less than $2 a day have enough, at least at the end, because we're stealing vegetable oils for fuels. They fry their food and everything, and those are the people that are going to be most be subject to having the most harsh reality and paying higher for food prices. The second of the crystal ball is that that, uh, that has uh, proceeded from the Obama administration through the Trump administration and here in the Biden administration about administering the renewable fuel standard and how much ethanol would be mandated by Washington and at the same time, the equal push and maybe the choice of push toward electric vehicles. How much is at stake in U.S. energy policy right now toward agriculture's future in rural America? Well, I really think as you look at the ethanol policy, at some point we'd like to, or at least EPA would like to have a clearer read in terms of that legislation. It's been through the court system and everybody has their own view on it. Uh, at the moment, however, ethanol is making so much money that it doesn't seem to be a real component. But I would imagine as we get towards uh, the latter part of this decade that electrification becomes more uh, obvious and, and, and may have a drag on ethanol consumption. But, you know, at the moment, I, I would just like to have political leaders go back to the 2007 energy bill, dust it off, debate it, and decide what their policies are going forward so that we in agriculture and the energy industry can really decide and what needs to happen and where capital should be best allocated to meet those goals. The 800-pound gorilla in the room is still China. You've alluded to it a couple of different times. The Phase 1 trade agreement ends at the end of 2021, and tensions appear to be high between the two countries. Can the Chinese afford to step into conflict with the U.S., or is their demand so great that they'll have to continue to cooperate or can Brazil provide enough to give them a, a stronger negotiating position with the Biden administration and those that would follow? Well, maybe that uh, the drought ongoing in Brazil makes that discussion a little more relevant today. Uh, longer term, Brazil can supply the Chinese needs, and, and, and the Chinese can look to them as, a, as an opportunity along with Ukraine. So we would surely change trading routes if indeed the Chinese somehow decided to uh, take over Taiwan. Uh, but, but, you know, down the road, and maybe more important to me today, is looking at the Ukrainian borders, which are now surrounded by over 250,000 Russian troops, and what that may mean, because there you have the world's first and third largest wheat exporters, and that would surely have an immediate impact on world food prices, should some kind of conflict develop and an embargo likely would follow. So, you know, the geopolitics of the world right now are very interesting uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, in terms of the United States, need us for our trade. We need China for, of course, their, their cheap goods coming in or their moderately priced goods coming in to keep inflation under wraps. I cannot think of uh, what would happen if trading relations broke down. And my hope is that the trade strength between the United States and China does allow for some sort of extension of phase one. I can envision where maybe the United States drops tariffs uh, in half or maybe eliminates them of the 
$265 billion, and then we can extend that for several more years. Trade is something that we have in common, and, and I hope that we build upon that thought process. Dan, as the, as the time of our conversation, corn in the front months starts with a 6, soybeans start with a 13, and the wheat market above $8 a bushel. Historically, these are high prices. As we peer into 2022, how strong is the floor at these particular levels, and what are the keys for 22 price discovery? So let me start out in mentioning something that we don't think has happened before, which is if we look at the next forward contracts of futures in corn, December 2022, December 2023, and almost, we're not quite there, but almost in December of 2024, corn is above $5 as far as we can see. Now, that is something in American agriculture that has not happened and something that I think we need to be aware of. The market is telling us that the demand is strong, and indeed the opportunity is, is high for American farmers. Um, soybeans, maybe not quite as much, but even on wheat, we have new crop wheat bids of $8 or higher. So the market gets it, and it understands the economics going forward. I believe this is something that will go forward. I do believe that we've uh, shifted the price skews higher. Uh, I no longer think that we can drop back much below, let's say, $4 of corn or maybe yeah, $11 of soybeans. So those are some, something that is very important, but again, related to peak farmland and related to cost and everything that's sitting here today. Deb Bassi, we want to thank you very much for the being in the midst of this holiday season, uh, working with your company at a busy schedule for taking time out uh, to visit with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Dan, it's Open Mic. You've been here before. You get the last word today. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm excited for agriculture for the next couple of years for the first time I've been in this business now for 42 years. It seems like almost everything, including dairy, has a potentially bullish outlook. And so uh, U.S. farmers need to be ingrained in terms of producing to their capacity. And we as policymakers or policymakers in Washington need to think about that more adaptly. Uh, uh, we're excited about 2022, though. The volatility in the market is something that is going to be breathtaking. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the Zero for Zero bill at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.